since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I was tired as hell, but I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> September 22nd, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of Young Enough Cancer. I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year Young Enough survivor of brain cancer. And I'm your co-host, Annie Goodman, journalist and young adult breast cancer fighter, and we're your host for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time entertaining listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. On tonight's show, Everything Awareness Month, it's September, which means it's Cancer Awareness Month for pretty much everything except breast cancer, childhood cancer, gynecologic cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, ovarian, prostate cancer, thyroid cancers, all share the spotlight tonight. Join us tonight as we welcome young adult cervical cancer survivor Tamika Felder, CEO of Survivor, and a survivor with a C, and young adult ovarian cancer survivor Lauren Horn to share their stories. Survivor Spotlight, I'm Marianne Steffen. I'm Maureen Sweet, Manager of Programs and Operations here at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodex. So send me your questions and feedback at any time using the hashtag SCRadio. All right. Yo, good evening, folks. Hello. we got a full house tonight. Yeah. Two out of our three guests are live in studio, Marianne Stevens and Lauren Horn. Welcome to the Chemodex. Thank you for saying my name wrong. Mar- Stefan. Stefan? I was going to go with Marianne. I knew that was wrong. So I had 50-50 chance. <laughs> well, thank you, Mac. Ah, see? see? <laughs> what goes around comes around. Karma. Yeah, exactly. Instant karma. Anyway, how are you all this fine Monday evening? Well, Fantastic. It is now no longer officially summer, correct? Today is fall. Yes. Happy fall. Happy fall. Mm-hmm. Which Time means for like, pumpkins and things. Is it like Christmas already in the stores? It's been in stores for like a month. Yeah. It's been in stores since last Christmas. <laughs> they just stopped Does it ever it really go away? Right. <laughs> we'll have to change the uh, logos in the Super Cancer store, put some holly. Right. <laughs> or, or as we say in Hebrew, the, some holly. Holly? Yes. 
like some leaves that are twisted a little bit. Yeah, it's a braided leaves. <laughs> the braided leaves of Christmas, exactly. Wonderful. Well, we have a we have an interesting uh, week. Last week we paid a visit to not many people get to do this. I would imagine the LinkedIn New York City headquarters office. Yes. Very exciting. Conveniently located in the Empire State Building. Which Double. We got to go in without being tourists. We like yeah. walked past everyone in the lines. So we're like, no. We're <laughs> yeah, we're serious. <laughs> we're totally serious. But apparently, um, tenants in the Empire State Building do have special roof guest access. You know, yeah. I was just wondering. I wonder if the employees every day are solicited for like uh, rooftop tours and all that stuff. Right. Like all those guys standing yeah. up front trying to sell you stuff. Like private. I asked them if it was awful, and they said that you get used to it. Yeah. It's like Hector, the mailman, has it's brought like up 20 up. friends to the <laughs> roof deck. It's like showing up in Matthew Zachary's in your office every day. What? Yeah. But if you show up at the LinkedIn office, you got mad snacks and an espresso machine and stuff up there. It that was, was really They're it's hooked a beautiful up. office. It's in the exact same design as one might expect from Google or Facebook. Open, lots of shared space. I don't know. I like that whole... You know, like like fifty people in one space with no walls. What like uh, what's that called? An uh, open floor plan. Open floor plan. Yeah, sure. Oh, right. No one has Ebola. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Yes. That's how the Especially in the Empire State Building. <laughs> yeah. Annie for the win. The Ebola virus. But I was in the Empire State When I was working full time, I worked in open space, and it was during the swine flu. Oh God. And we're like. If anyone thinks that it's fine, please don't come to work. We're all going to die. Right. So that's where I got I mean, I can from. see open floor, but, like, to have 50 people open right then and there sitting next to each other with, like, no way to delineate whose desk starts where, that's a little weird for me. Yeah, I got kind of used to it. When I, I'm kind of messy, so when I was working full-time, my coworkers would just, like, I'd come in one day and have stuff, like, sitting on my keyboard or on my chair or somewhere because I would always invade their space. Right. And they would get pissed at me. Whatever. Kenny well, and I are going to take pissed. down the cubicle walls as a prank now. Yeah. To see. <laughs> see how you then react. You have, yeah, then you're exposed to other things. Like, someone sitting next to you might be eating Funyuns. True story. Yeah. Like, you better eat those fast. That's disgusting. <laughs> and then they breathe on you. Oh, it's not so much the bag opening. It's when they eat them and then you just start smelling the like funion the secondhand smoke I from had, the Funyuns. I had to get all of my clothes dry cleaned after that. Uh, that's my new band name, Funyun Secondhand Smoke. <laughs> it's like when you walk into the subway and it just sticks to you. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we were there for an in-day. We'd like to thank Beth Carlson, if she's listening, a fabulous young adult survivor who attended... That's a good segue. Last year's New York City-based OMG East Cancer Conference. Uh, she set this up for us. She's an amazing person, so kudos out to her. And speaking of that, four days away, three days away, five, five days, days away, away, six days away, <laughs> two days, days away. My life. An hour and a half Tomorrow. away. Yeah. <laughs> it's right now. It just happened. It's over. <laughs> From the, I believe this is the third annual um, New York sure. City 2012, 2013, 2014. Yep, third annual. Three. Yeah. All right. Third annual OMG East um, I think this is our greatest like conference in history in terms of like how quickly it sold out. Yeah, we sold out within a couple weeks. We have a waiting list a mile long. Right. Uh, we got 225 people. We need a bigger boat. Yeah, bigger um, boat. <laughs> but we are having an after party if anyone is in the New York or metro area generally. Yeah, it's a big after party at Manhattan Proper. Manhattan Proper down on Murray Street. Yep. In the Financial District, Tribeca area. Yes. Highly recommend you come out. That starts at 7 p.m. on Saturday. Well, we have a great agenda. We do. The one and only Italia Ricci. 
yes. is coming to New York City. She will be our guest speaker. And who be- is she? It's how you read. She is some random actress. That doesn't really matter, I guess. No. no. <laughs> struggling <She> like, artist. <laughs> struggling, struggling. She is um, the next big thing. She is the star of ABC Family's Chasing Life, the hit new uh, dramedy, I guess we can go with that, uh, about a young adult with cancer trying to get busy living in her life. And she is a huge celebrity. She's done great things for our movement, our cause. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is so excited. This will be her first time in a room with hundreds of young adult survivors. She liked one of my Instagram photos today. I'm jealous. <laughs> it was a man. Uh, <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> you know, as a layperson, I've watched the show and I've seen what she's tweeted and Instagrammed and Facebooked about us and the cancer, young adult cancer community. And I really, really got to say that this girl has really done an excellent job at supporting us. And, you know, kudos to her. She's invested. She did her research. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it didn't hurt that we were involved indirectly in helping create the show's characters. But she, I, I mean, I talked to her personally when I was in Los Angeles two weeks ago. She really was personally committed to understanding how to make this character as mo- the most authentic she could. And she surrounded herself with all the right people. Yeah, but she doesn't have to go on her Facebook page and interact with all the young adult cancer fighters, survivors who reach out to her right. and speak to them and interact with them. I, I, I think coming from a survivor of two years, I really appreciate what she's done. Well, also, she is, um, it's a choice. Like, we, we work with a lot of other, or we are aware of at least, a lot of other shows out there. Um, Fault in Our Stars, for example, did not do any work with any advocacy organization at all. And it's a shame. Well, the, okay, didn't they do something with the um, Esther's group? Who? Est- okay, Esther is the little girl who inspired the story from John Green. Well, that's because that's directly related to her, but they're not like a national. There was no national media about no. the show. There was no national narrative about the show. And the Red Band Society, which apparently is a thing now on Fox, but I, no one's reaching out to them. I don't think they're working with anybody. I actually, you know, I saw the promos, and I wasn't sure if it was about cancer or just sick kids. It's or not about pediatric. cancer specifically. It's, it's, it's about, both. yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, like, it's just sick kids in a hospital. Some have cancer, some have other things. Right, yeah. okay. Well, but anyway, yeah. we're pumped. We love yeah. Natalia's here. Thank she's you to ABC Family yeah. and Disney in general for supporting mm-hmm. us. Um, yeah, it's going to be a great day. Natalia will be here. We're going to talk about psychosocial wellness. We're going to talk about the environment. We're going to talk about our new app, Instapeer. we got a lot of cool stuff lined up. Yeah, Instapeer, by the way, will be launching in beta form at mm-hmm. the conference. Instapeer.org is our free mobile app that will hopefully eradicate the idea of being alone. I like it. Yes. Me too. Very cool. Definitely. And finally, we uh, have a really interesting time. Mallory was my date. Mallory on the couch over there. Uh, at the PM360, which is the Pharma Marketer 360 Magazine Trailblazer Awards. Mm-hmm. And with Maureen, you went with me last year, too. Actually, yeah. Trail went last year. Jenny was there. It was yeah, because I spoke last year. Mm-hmm. Was a, just you wouldn't shut up. I, 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 that's me. What do you want from me? It's okay. I got an extra cocktail, and it was excellent. Yeah, it was good. Uh, very, again, a very wonderful um, event. Kudos to them. 
It is the, I guess, the pharmaceutical advertising industry's version of the Clio's. How's that? I don't know what a Clio is, but that sounds great. Like the OBs, the Clio's, you know them. The Emmy? Yeah. The, yeah. I, I don't, when you said Clio, I thought you meant like the lady who does the readings. The psychic readings late at night. Oh my God, remember Cleo? I, yeah. Lady Cleo? Oh my God. Oh my goodness. That is. Do little... you have the real bulgy eyes? <laughs> I don't know, but she seemed to wear a lot of caftans or something like that. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. a great banter yeah. today, everybody. All right. Well, without that, yeah, that was our opening segment here. Let's get to Marion. Marianne? Marion? <laughs> Just say your name. Miriam? Mary Ann. Mary Ann. Repeat your name. you got to spell it like Mary Ann. Just tell your parents they messed up. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mom and Dad. Anyway, right. Mary Ann Stefan lost over 200 pounds, she thought it was a big deal. That was until she went through a battle of fighting stage 4 endometriotral cancer. Mary Ann, welcome to our studio. Thank you for having me. Now, just for the uninitiated, biologically speaking, what is the endometrial part of you? The endometrial layer is the lining of the uterus. Okay. So the uterus is the womb where women carry the babies. So why not call it uterine cancer? Because they are classically and specifically two different things. The mm-hmm. uterine layer is what you shed when you have a period. Right. So they are two separate things. Uh, medically speaking. Well, there you go. That's the right answer. Great to know. Oh, we all <laughs> learned something today. Mm-hmm. Love it. So, all right, so it's it's Everything Awareness Month, uterine cancer, I believe, is one of them, or ovarian cancer, or it's gynecological cancer. Yeah, it's all in there somewhere. We're, we are actually lumped in. Uh, there's, uh, gyne- there's in gynecological cancer awareness month there is uterine cancer endometrial cancer cervical cancer ovarian cancer vulva cancer and vaginal cancer and vaginal cancer um ovarian and cervical cancers are the only ones that have their own specific specific months however uh cervical cancer is also this month or yes yes. it is yeah Uh, this month is gynecologic cervical and ovarian no, ovarian is oh, it January. Is? Oh, yeah. It's an ovarian September. It's yeah. now. It's September. Yeah. Yeah. No? yeah. I thought, I thought yeah. one was... We're doing a great job of keeping track, everybody. Come <laughs> and get the ribbon tracker. I'm confused. <laughs> then, 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 we wrote an ovarian then, on our script. Then yeah. cervical is in January. Cause oh, right. You're right. right. Cervical is in January. Right. I yeah. knew one was different. Right. Because <laughs> Tamika's going to be on to tell us all about how September is not cervical cancer awareness. Ah, there you are. Which is interesting because I always... All right, before we get to your story... What's the deal with all the ribbons? Does it matter? I mean, I find that younger people don't tend to really care, but do awareness months matter? Well, um, when I was in Vegas this April for OMG, which was my first time and a completely life-changing experience. That's because of her roommate. Which was (laughs) Annie. You know, I actually met one of our... um, steering committee members, uh, who I'm going to shout out, Hannah, who is a fellow Peach survivor. Um, Peach is designated for uterine and ovarian cancer, and she has a tattoo of the Peach ribbon. Okay. Um, Does it matter? Maybe. It probably does to some people. Um, I know when I was growing up, uh, I 
my mom works still does work in the fashion industry, but I knew a lot of people with AIDS. So I was very connected with the red ribbon because I knew so many people who had lost their lives to AIDS. Right. So I think the ribbon is given as much power as you want to give it, but you know, we need to educate people on what it means. There are so many ribbons, but people don't likely know what the peach ribbon means. Right. All right. So you're 32 ish and you're living your life dancing around, doing your thing, what happens? I was actually at the gym. I was at the gym January 9th, 2012. I had done a session of boxing with my trainer and then went on a stationary bicycle, done seven and a half miles, was thrilled with myself because I had a torn meniscus in my knee and got downstairs to in the locker room to clean myself up and noticed that I was bleeding and thought I had started my period, which was abnormal usually because of uh, having polycystic ovarian syndrome throughout my, in, well, my entire life. Um, and that's when my life changed the next morning. I um, discovered it was incredibly not normal and um, tennis ball size clots happened. Wow. And um, I went to my my gynecologist and um, she gave me medication to try and stop the bleeding, three rounds of uh, estrogen. Uh, it didn't stop. I was sent for a DNC, which is where they um, an ultrasound kind of scrape everything out of there. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Maureen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and was she in any way alarmed enough to think this could be something like endometrial cancer? Well, here's the funny thing, and I'm glad you asked that. She thought I had fibroids. Okay. Which is not uncommon. It's not uncommon at all. Right. My mother, in her 20s, had precancerous cells in her cervix. Okay. For whatever reason, the connection was not made. So I don't fault my doctor for not making the connection, but um, you could say I was misdiagnosed. Right. Um, but she hooked me up with my oncologist who literally saved my life. Um, but the pathology from the DNC came back and it showed endometrial cancer. So your this is your primary OB? My, um, yes. Ref, referred you to an oncologist? Yes, who I have now. Without knowing it was cancer or in hopes it might not be? When the pathology came back, okay. they knew it was endometrial cancer. Wow. And she sent me to my oncologist now. Okay. The not-so-funny story was, had those estrogen pills worked to stop the bleeding, I wouldn't be talking to you now. Right. Of course. Plus, my cancer was estrogen receptive. That was probably doing a good job to make my cancer worse. Sure. So talk us through what happened next. Um, Surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, all the usual suspects? Throughout January, uh, 
we were still figuring out what was going on. February 1st, I met my oncologist who I have now who saved my life. Before my hysterectomy, which was March 15th of 2012, I was typed stage two either cervical or endometrial cancer. They were not sure because I had a cervical tumor. Okay. My pathology was questionable. And um, I actually spoke to my uh, my oncologist last week at my two-year cancerversary appointment. I was asking her about the beginning, and she said it's still, the pathology still kept coming up very confusing in the beginning, and finally they matched everything and saw that it was endometrial cancer. Um, then I had the hysterectomy, and it showed I had a spread. Um, they, well, I'm jumping ahead. Um, I had scans that showed I also had three spots on my liver. Uh, so I had a cervical tumor, three uh about eraser size spots on my liver and my reproductive si- reproductive system was compromised. So the hysterectomy was scheduled and a liver resection was liver resection was scheduled for the same date, which was March 15th. Livers are overrated, by the way. Yeah. Penny can tell you. Well, I still have it, which I'm very glad I did. <laughs> and. Um, when my oncologist was doing the surgery, she found I had a massive spread over my abdominal layer and on top of my bladder, and she explained it like snowflakes. Uh, right. They were covering the rest of my organs. Um, so I had six rounds of Taxol and Carbo okay. after that, and um, I still have pretty massive joint pain. Um, I lost my hair. I couldn't really go to the gym like I wanted anymore. I I have asthma, which I never had. But um, considering the fact that I had lost so much weight, right? I gained forty-seven pounds, and I was pissed as hell <laughs> <laughs> that my body was taken away from me. My mm-hmm. capability to do what I wanted to do was taken away from me. Steroids are oh, necessary evil, I suppose. So why don't you tell us, okay, so before you, sur- before you were diagnosed, you lost 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. And you did it the old-fashioned way. Yep. No surgery. Nope. You did it the old-fashioned way. You yep, went I- to the gym. You hired a trainer. Yep. Where are you at with that in your life? Um, now I, that you're, you know, you got your two-year clean bill of health, thank God. So tell us a little bit about your addiction to fitness now. Uh, my trainer is one of my best friends. Uh, he came to chemos. He came to see me at the hospital. Um, and he inspired me to go forward while I'm still on a quest to become healthy and lose more weight to become a trainer myself and not only help people losing weight and get healthy, but eventually I want to work with other cancer survivors, thrivers, fighters, 
and helps them with nutritional nutrition and exercise movement because I think there's a real need for people who have cancer to move around, not necessarily um, always know what they should be eating or know that people like Anne from Cook for Your Life are out there. She's done a fantastic job. Um, that chemo bites is out there and Kristen, you know, there, there are a lot of people who have done some really, really good work, uh, kicking cancer in the kitchen. You know, this is not a disease of young women. No. So we have a few minutes left. Talk to us through the isolation that you felt and how you got through that and how you came to find our community. Well, it's funny. Endometrial cancer apparently is the most common gynecological cancer. It is not the most common gynecological cancer for our age group. Right. Um, so we're actually very rare in that respect. So when you tell somebody our age they're going to have a hysterectomy, okay, well, where is all the other young adults survivors of hysterectomy right. who can't do hormone replacement because they had estrogen receptive cancer like I did or take medications because they've had breast cancer and the hormone may not work for them. Right. So at, when I was diagnosed, I didn't, I was alone. I didn't know about stupid cancer. I didn't know about stupid cancer until I was nine months cancer-free. So I did some internet uh, research and I found Hister Sisters, which is a hysterectomy group. Still could not find the void I was looking for. I think a lot of people are really afraid in our age group to talk about menopause and how scary it can be. Who wants to really go that deep and talk about hot flashes and, sure. you know, what it does to women? Actually, Annie does. <laughs> no, you have no idea the conversations that Mary and I have had. Yes. They are not suitable for the radio show. Right. <laughs> no, they are not. But you found your home. I did. You were I amongst did. your peers. Yes. And actually... um, when I was going through chemo, uh, Dean Brown had had her second. Oh, you know uh, Dean? I don't. Oh. But I had known of her from, rea- from TV. Sure. So when she started going through cancer the second time, I was going through chemo. So she was talking about how she would probably need a hysterectomy. And I was tweeting at her saying, you know, well, if you need to talk. And I wasn't vocal about my cancer at that point. Right. So she really got me more comfortable saying, hey, I have cancer. It's it's not an easy badge to wear. It right. really isn't. Of course. But people, it's. I think it's helpful for people to kind of own it in their own time. You know, I 
want to be one of those people to be a voice and talk about menopause. You know, there are so many people our age who are fighting with menopause, fighting with weight weight gain because of our cancers. And because of menopause. Yeah. I'm having a very hard time losing weight because of menopause. Um, But I think if we can open up a dialogue, bring us all together, I think we can really, you know, make something really happen with gynecological cancers. You know, Tamika's done an excellent job in getting us to talk about it. Right. And it's embarrassing. Even, I don't even like talking about it with Marianne and I share a gynecological oncologist and you have to ask these questions and it's so embarrassing. Even when you know this is like what she does all day and she's had this conversation a hundred times, you know, it's tough. And it's a little, it's, at least for me, it was, you know, okay, I had a mastectomy. A gazillion people have had a mastectomy, so it wasn't as embarrassing. Right. But um, I will add, to, for me personally, it was a little embarrassing that um, I had a total hysterectomy because then the world also knows you are barren. So there's right. that part of it. There's that aspect of it, too, that I'm sure, you know, we all cope with it differently, but um, it's not easy. Well, we've reached the end of the segment, but you're here, so you can chime in anytime for the rest of the show. But Marion, St- Stefan? Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us in the Thank studio. Thank you. Kenny, let's, uh, let's get to the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. And on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. All right. Allentown, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Redlands, California, New York, New York, San Antonio, Texas, Solana Beach, California, and San Francisco, California. That's a nice crop there. Very diverse. Cancer is lonely, period. We've got the cure. It's called Instapeer, our forthcoming free mobile app that will bring instant anonymous peer support to anyone affected by any cancer. Visit instapeer.org to watch our video, learn more about the project, and consider making a donation so you can be a part of history. Instapeer.org. It's always a good time to stock up on stupid cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime and stay nice and cool with all new products and styles to choose from. Actually, you should probably modify this to say nice and warm right. in a stupid cancer hoodie. Uh, we've got a skateboard, and don't forget about Flip, the cancer bird, our latest plushie mascot. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And that is and your stupid, stupid cancer, cancer news. All righty. Well, we got 50% of our guests here in studio, so let me intro the one and only six-time returning champion, Tamika Felder. Is an award-winning television producer and correspondent after a diagnosis of advanced cervical cancer in 2001, the age of 25, the tender age of 25. She used her experience to help educate other women about ways to prevent it. She's the founder of Tamika and Friends, as well as Survivor.org, national nonprofit organizations dedicated to cervical cancer awareness and health through a network of survivors and their friends. And joining her in live studio, Lauren Horn. Diagnosed with ovarian cancer in August of 2013, having a, after having a cyst removed from her ovary, 
declared in remission in December 2013 after another surgery and chemotherapy. Recently married, we'll be discussing that. Tamika Felder and uh, Lauren Horn, ladies, please welcome yourselves to the Stupid Cancer Show. Thank you. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. <laughs> so Tamika's married. No. No, Tamika's married. Oh. And Lauren's married. We have two married cancer survivors on the show, and that makes me happy. Because it oh, shows that there's after cancer, yeah. and life can be amazing after cancer, with or without a spouse. But in this case, you could be a spinster and a survivor and be totally happy. <laughs> that was directed at you, Annie. Also, I don't need I'm... to call yourself a spinster. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true because I was happy during my uh, single years, but I'm even happier now with my husband who's sitting here with me. <laughs> Yeah, he paid you to say that one. <laughs> kidding, kidding. He's wonderful. Yes, he is wonderful. Hey, Rocco. Rocky. Sorry, Rocco. <laughs> Rocky, I messed it up. Rocky, not Rocco. Rocco's my other guy. Right, that's right. Rocco's instructed. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Kenny went there. Tamika, you can hold him accountable. <clears throat> In any case, hello, Tamika. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm happy to be here and talk about cancers below the belt. <laughs> yes, cancer below the belt is um, is uh, clearly the issue at hand. And even though cervical cancer, I'd love to, maybe you could talk about that briefly. So gynecologic cancer and ovarian cancer and uh, endometrioma is September, but cervical, which is a gynecologic cancer, is also in January. What's that about? It- it also is in January, and um, it's really, you know, we have a lot of work to do with the other cancers, and we're getting there, but with cervical cancer, we actually have the tools now to, you know, detect the virus that causes it, the human papillomavirus. We have HPV tests. We have HPV um, vaccines to prevent it, and we're really at a place where we could really do some true change with cervical cancer and help really get the numbers drastically down. And um, so I, I, I don't want to focus too much on cervical cancer this month, but I'm happy you know, to allow it to share the space, and hopefully you'll have me back on in January to talk about it a little bit more. But I really want to talk about all the cancers below the the waist, and you just really, you know, listed most of them. And really to talk about my friends at the Foundation um, for Women's Cancer. Uh, They have a new campaign called Love Your Lady Parts, and I'm um, a part of that campaign. And one of the things that we're asking women to do is to, one, learn the facts about cancers below the waist. Number two, once you know the facts and the symptoms and what to look for, listen to your body. And three, act. Call a gynecologic oncologist because they have seven years additional training um, so they can specifically help you and hopefully we'll catch these women when they're diagnosed at, if not stage one, very early on and can treat with surgery and not so much with chemotherapy and other drugs. So that's well, my let's, uh, yeah. So let, speaking of cancer below the belt, we have an ovarian survivor here, and again, it just comes down to this is a very delicate, sensitive conversation to begin with. When you're well, mm-hmm. then you throw that in there, and fertility and r- reproductive rights, and how do you talk to people? It is clearly something that is under discussed, and we see this all the time in the young adult community. Uh, I'll have Lauren tell her story real quick, and then, Tamika, you can bring us back to 2000 when all that fun stuff happened for you. Okay. Well, 
so I call um, my ovarian cancer my 80-year-old woman cancer <laughs> because never did I think that at 29 years old, ovarian cancer could happen. Um, yeah, so I was diagnosed last year. Um, out of flow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no symptoms. Right. So yeah, um, just thank God I found it, and um, well, I have. Well, if you had no symptoms, how did you find it? You know, like, you can't dig inside yourself and say, "Hey, look, my ovaries." Um, well, that'd be pretty cool, but I wouldn't recommend. It. Regular um, screening tests. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> At the gynecologist are very important. Yes. And can find things like that. Awesome. And so yeah, there was something questionable there um have an awesome goddess doctor um and she yeah she found it i had two surgeries i was in the hospital for a little bit from a complication um and then three rounds of chemo and in december i was declared in remission so i actually had a follow-up with my doctor today nine months today Today I came with my uh, with my little band aid for my blood test. <laughs> we like those moments. Yeah, those are good moments. So you just got married, Mazel Tov for that. Thank you. Um, is it safe to assume that you were with him when you were diagnosed as well? Yes, I was. We actually had just moved in together that June, and I was diagnosed in August. Um, stuff started to, you know. We started to look into things a little bit more seriously in terms of um, the surgery and stuff in June. So we moved in together and right away, you know, wow. we were dealing with this. And he was beyond amazing. So Rockstar. I married him. Well, yeah, he must have done something right. <laughs> yes. But that great. brings up the role of the caregiver. I mean, Tamika was, was uh, single for many, many years post her diagnosis, and she just got married now. You were engaged when you... We no. were not engaged. We never, we were we, never engaged. We just surprised everyone with a wedding. It was awesome. So you were, you were <laughs> dating, cohabitating, and married. Yes. In that order. <laughs> yep. I like that. That's modern family. Mm, yes. <laughs> so kind of the opposite then, where you were with somebody, and then you had him, and he stuck around, and he did a great job, and he's here now. Mm -hmm. The role of the caregiver with gynecologic cancer must be very difficult for men who are maybe typically not even want to talk about it when you're well. Yeah. Tamika, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I actually was just talking about this. It's something where you need someone who is very patient, understanding, and that could be with any other cancer because you have to have very uncomfortable conversations. Um, when you talk about whether you're single or you're dating and, you know, the way your body reacts to someone, um, when you find someone and you love them, you're attracted to them, and your body just doesn't react um, because of treatment surgery, the emotional, you know, and psychological scarring, uh, it can make relationships very hard. So, you know, I'm to a point where, where I got when I was single that, you know, my feelings matter. important that after everything that I had gone through, I needed someone who really supported me and truly loved me. Like, I needed that nurturing kind of love. And I dated, you know, a douchebag, you know, before, and you feel like you're broken and you know, maybe I should stay in this relationship because I'm not worthy of something more. And so I really love talking, you know, to women and men and sharing with them that you are worth more, you know, especially after everything that you've gone through. And it's and it's really important to get the love that you deserve. 
And it doesn't matter how long it takes. It's worth waiting for. And, again, I'm coming out on the other side knowing that, you know, I think, you know, at first you think no one's going to want me, no one's going to accept me, you don't really know what the other side is going to be like. But eventually you have to think, like, I'm worthy of, of, of this love that I want and I deserve. And so for me, it was kind of at one point, like, well, you know what, I'm just going to be happy and enjoy my life that I have. If that means that I'm single, then I'm just going to enjoy my single life. And it was really just interesting how when I accepted my life and just started enjoying my journey post-cancer, um, that's when love really found me. And Timmy, can I ask you a question? How did you reveal your status as far as fertility-wise when you were dating? Because it's, it, that's also, you know, it's awkward enough to tell your potential, you know, suitors that you had cancer, let alone one that compromised your fertility entirely. You, I went about it all wrong. I was crazed, okay? Um, <laughs> I would go on dates, and I would sit down. I'm like, hi, I'm Tamika. I can't have children. You know, it was that nervous energy, and I would tell my girlfriends, and they were like, you're crazy, you know, and you, 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 you want to be authentic and be truthful, but then you have to also be guarded. It's this very fine balance. And what I've learned is, you know, it's okay to go on one date and not reveal everything. Of course, now we live in a social media area where there's no privacy. You know, everything, you know, can be found. You can just put someone's name in the search engine and see everything. So it's hard, hard to hard, hide things, especially if you publicly talk about them. But I think you get to know the person and kind of decide whether that person is worthy of knowing that about you, and then you just tell them. You just say it, you know, and that's the first thing that you have to do is just say it. And it may be awkward at first, but the more you say it, which is owning your story, which is, you know, also owning your journey, that you'll be able to talk about it and it gets easier each time. Can we shift this to reproductive rights? Not to move yeah. it out of the realm of it, but I um, – so I know Lauren – through a mutual friend named Jennifer Rackman, who is also an ovarian survivor who had a hysterectomy. And she had to go through, she wanted children. She couldn't biologically have children. So she did surrogacy, which is a really viable option, but it's very expensive. Tamika, you work more in the legislative or you have your, your, your finger in the legislative world more than I do. Where are we at right now with women with gynecologic cancers and reproductive rights? Well, you know, there are actually some states out there who, um, where, like, for instance, here in Washington, D.C., uh, surrogacy or having a gestational carrier is actually illegal. And then states close by, like Maryland, where things are a little bit more, um, um, they have laws that clearly state what you can, cannot do, who's the parent, who's not. States like Virginia where it's a little murky. And so there's still work to be done. There, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and there's the legislative side of it of just making sure that the laws work for both parties, and that's whether it's adoption or anything else. But also when you turn talk about in terms of financially helping um, survivors, you know, there's some organizations out there, but it's still an extremely heavy burden. There are, 
you know, fertility drug companies. They help with fertility and things like that. And I'm not an expert in it at all, but I know we still really need to do more work. And I love the work that Jen's doing. She's so open with her story, um, whether she's speaking to a group or just uh, someone personally. And I just think, like, this is something that we really need to spend more time on, especially for older survivors, kind of like myself, who we find ourselves getting married a little later on in life and what options are out there for us and also financial resources. Because there are a lot of resources for um, patients who are younger and just diagnosed, but there are not really a lot of resources for uh, a little more seasoned uh, young adult survivors like myself. I'm really glad you asked that question because as a stage four cancer survivor, it makes me very upset that I may never get my own child because I had cancer when I was 33 and didn't have a family before my life completely changed and I had absolutely no choice whatsoever to, you know, do anything to save my fertility. Right. So I may have to go in front of a judge and fight for an adoption. I may have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to have surrogacy one day. And it's really unfair the onus that it puts upon anyone who's had this devastating cancer who wants to be a parent just like anyone else. The conversations I've been the conversations I've been having with the reproductive rights people in the Uncle Facility Consortium and some of the other groups out there is they're trying to reframe the narrative now. Because from a legislative perspective, they don't care about your story. They care about what's going to make the insurance companies happy and what's going to – it's all economics. you know. So it's – they're framing it as a civil liberty, not a civil right. It's not a civil right to be a mom or a dad. It's a civil liberty to be a parent. It's your choice <clears throat> to, to, to be a mom or a dad. And the cancer shouldn't take that civil liberty away, even though sometimes it does. So what can this country do for you if that happens? Because you didn't ask for it to happen. And something as simple as an oocyte harvesting before your hysterectomy as a standard of care or making you even aware that they can do this in advance and that the states will cover this for you because this is what's going to happen. But what, if you per- don't, what, if, what if you don't have a lot of time and then – Let's say you do do it and you get the funds to do that, but then you have to have storage for freezing it. You don't know when you're going to get married if you're a single person. It may happen soon. It may happen later. So then there's these storage fees. And then depending, you know, what you get, will you have just eggs? Is it an embryo? You know, and there are all these other absorbent fees. And then I love when, you know, our friend Sam from the Fund also talks about adoption because, you know, I used to get angry when I was first diagnosed and people found out I had to get a radical hysterectomy. I wouldn't have children. They're like, oh, you can just adopt. You can just adopt. One, it's not that right. easy. And two, 
even with adoption, it's an incredible financial burden. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not the same as getting a gestational carrier, but it's an incredible financial burden, especially if you're doing a private adoption. Right. So, again, in a unicorn rainbow world, these would be covered as an entitlement of insurance because if you look at the amount of – if you look at the number of women with gynecologic reproductive issues, only a small percentage are oncology patients. So you're not really looking at a huge amount of money per year to cover these costs over the lifetime of those young women. Annie? So one thing I wanted to add is you brought the aspect of time, Tamika, and that was a problem that I had. Um, I had a very large tumor, tumor which appeared to be cancer in my right ovary, and I was sent. Uh, one of the things I did was I, I did consult with a fertility doctor um, in New York. He is very well known. He's done a lot of amazing things. His name is Dr. James Griffo. He does a lot of implantations where he takes out genetic mutations that cause cancer, et cetera. Anyway, one thing I will add that was very frustrating was that my consultation, I had, I have excellent insurance. My consultation was covered by my insurance. And then what happens is you get to the, you know, at the end of your appointment, they give you a printout of what your insurance will cover. They won't even cover my blood work. So you have to do blood work in order to even do an egg harvest, which I had as an as a option, but a risky option, which right. you're like, oh, thanks. Like yeah. you, you can you can harvest some eggs in your other ovary, but it might have cancer in it. It might spiral over your body, and then you'll be dead. Anyway, so why bother even harvesting eggs? It's like it's a you're when you go through that process, it's a horrible, horrible thing. But I got a printout, and it was like they wouldn't even cover my blood work because they have to cover blood work to see when you're ovulating to even do a harvest. So it's like we have nothing. It, you know, this costs thousands and thousands of dollars. I was in New right. York City. It's, it's the same amount everywhere. But these insurance companies and lobbyists, they got to, like, really step this up because, you know, had I had time, I, I might have done it, you know, but – what for people who do have time and could do it, but they can't afford it. And then, you know, Live Charms does a great job with helping, but that not, doesn't, not paying. they're not, right, they give you a little bit of money, right? but that doesn't cover like the rent for your, for your eggs or the embryos. You still have to pay that every year. And I think in New York city, it's like a thousand bucks a month, a thousand dollars a year. Yeah. So right. what is going to, how, like, this is what needs to change. And I will agree that it was like, I was like the only single person there. It was mostly couples. And it was, I have to tell you, the fertility office lobby, waiting room, was the, I've never been anywhere where I felt more sad. Because, like, in oncology, I don't know, it was just like, it wasn't hopeful. It was like, holy crap, these people are just really depressed. And, but because they're mostly dealing with people who have fertility problems, not cancer problems. But anyway, I mean, we need to, like, Really, well, we're at a critical mass now, and because this narrative has never been as loud as, as it is today, and I, I just want to go back to I was in Colorado a couple of weeks ago when I met with some of the folks uh, who are doing like this, like 22nd century Star Trek level re- reproductive technology, where they can literally go in, scrape a couple of cells from your ovary, and freeze them, and they can mature them later into embryos with a donor sperm. Like, like it's literally a they just scrape it, and then they take out your ovary. They take the clean cells out, and even and in your case, they can actually separate the BRCA mm-hmm. from the non-BRCA and almost like 
a designer baby. Your big designer baby. So cancer eventually one day will no longer preclude you from having your own biological child because they'll just scrape the ovary cells and freeze them for a while. Even if you're that far gone. Right. That's the okay, This is the Star Trek conversation that they were having with us about where we will be in 10 years with this technology. But to everyone's point, the cost. And this goes back to being a young adult issue. This does not affect you when you get 80-year-old cancer and you're 80. Mm-hmm. This doesn't affect you when you get 75-year-old cancer. This is a young adult issue, and we have the right, the civil liberty, to make this noise and have this change. So I, I want to turn it back over to the, to the Institute, I guess, to talk about public perception, stigma, and community. What have you guys found, and you're new, you're relatively rel- less, less new, and Tamika, you've been around for, with this for like 14 years or 13 years. How, is, how has it changed? Uh, what are we looking at now? I mean, organizations like Stupid Cancer and First Sense, they bring communities together. But talking to friends, talking to your family, you know, ha- ha- t- tell us what your life is like as a young woman affected by this who's dealing with this incredibly sensitive issue. All three of you, start with Marianne. Okay. Um, well, I actually wear my Stupid Cancer sweatshirt to work and have had an interesting response on the streets of Manhattan. (laughs) Sometimes people still bump into me, and other times I get a knowing look, like that that glimmer of recognition, and people will actually not bump into me. Right. Um, But actually, my life changed a lot this year. Um, because when I came home from OMG, one of my best friends, uh, one of my quote-unquote normal people. Uh, the normies, ah, oh, the normies. The normies. Um, one of my normies was diagnosed with Hodgkin's. Oh, boy. So, um, you know, you never expect that it's going to hit, <laughs> you know, come off the plane Yeah. from meeting, you know, over 400 people with cancer or affected by cancer, and then, you know, your your normal life just blows up. Right. Um, but my, uh, aside from, from, from that happening, um, my cancer struggle in my everyday life has been uh, more twofold. I've had... Um, uh, I'm I'm single, so I'm on the dating scene, and it's a little interesting, you know, putting yourself out there saying I have cancer. Um, so that that's an interesting thing to broach, and I I'm doing online dating right now, which is not something everybody wants to kind of say, but whatever. And I have put in my profile that I'm a cancer survivor because I just, you know, pink elephant in the room. I don't want a pink elephant in the room. Right. I just want to get it out there. Um, but it's, it's, I've been having more of a mental uh, hardship dealing with cancer since coming back from o, from OMG. And I think everything from my own diagnosis 
I'm really dealing with it now, two years later, and I think it's been because I've met so many people now right. who's been affected and coming back and having one of my normal friends, one of my regular people, one of my best friends affected, that it's finally, you know, I have to mentally deal with this now. So, you know, I flipped out on my oncologist in my June checkup, and she said, you know, you need to talk to somebody. So I am, and I think, you know, mental health in dealing with young adult cancer can't be as stigmatized as it is right? because not everybody wants to say, you know, we're going to see a therapist or we're talking to somebody or we need help. So, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with, with my stuff. Lauren, do you want to follow up with that? Sure. Well, speaking about that too, um, I actually attend a young adult uh, cancer survivor group that I love. Um, Where is that? That's at Cancer Care. Yes, I know all about it. It's yes. been awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad you go. Hi, group people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's been really helpful in dealing with the anxiety that comes along with uh, the diagnosis and everything afterward. Um, in terms of my life, um, and you're saying the stigma, I don't really experience a lot of the stigma. I think people are just so so shocked that, like cancer is part of the conversation. They right. don't even think about what kind of cancer. Mm-hmm. When I learned about ovarian cancer and started like Googling stuff, it was really scary to read because uh, everything is silent killer. Yeah. 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 So that, I don't well, know, that the, was really scary. The tagline for WebMD is diagnose yourself with a terminal illness. But actually, um, I was diagnosed in August of 2013 and came to OMG East in September of 2013. Fresh meat. Right before I was starting chemo. Wow. It was, that was, what an experience for me. Um, But the best thing that I could have done there, well, my mother sent me saying, when you go, you have to find out where you get a wig. That is your goal of going to this conference and meeting people and find out where to get a wig. So I found out where to get a wig. And then I also met awesome people. Um, One very good friend who um, I reconnected with from high school. I hadn't seen her or talked to her in like 10 years. And she happened to be at the conference? She was at the conference. I actually Facebook messaged her that morning remembering that she had been diagnosed with breast cancer and had dealt with it and... I messaged her just to say, like, hey, I need help. Because that was my, I'm a very externally oriented person when it comes to dealing with things. I put it all out there. I don't, I can't keep anything in. So a lot of people know about my diagnosis, and that's really helped me. Um, So I had messaged her that morning to say, hey, this is what's going on. What can you tell me? (laughs) Like, And she was sitting across from me at OMG, um, and I saw her during lunch, and then that was it. Um, she had made two friends, um, I guess, through the Young Survivor Coalition sure, group. Sure. Yes. And so the three of those girls were lifesavers through chemo for me. Any question, any little feeling, any anything. Right. I just went to them, and they were so helpful. So. Yeah. 
And and Tamika, you and I go back long enough with our diagnoses to like 2000, 2001, where like people were still whispering it back then. What's what's been your experience from your side from a below the belt cancer conversation? Because you've been so vocal about this since even before I've met you. Yeah, and you know, and with my cancer, with cervical cancer, there is a stigma because of HPV, and it's unfortunate. Um, over these past thirteen years, I can definitely see that. It's getting better, but we're still not there yet. I like to see a more kind of inclusive world where, you know what, we've all had cancer, and let's just all support each other and not, you know, make it worse. And I, you know, really thank you guys for really doing that, like really um, showing and spreading the love to all cancers out there. And my organization was dedicated to cervical cancer because really people weren't talking about it in a way they should have. You know, I'm proud to say for years, uh, Christine Bays and I have been screaming that this is a young woman's disease, and you know all of the medical guys, clinicians, researchers—they're like, no, 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 this is really for older women. And now there's actually research to support that this is a problem for young adults. This is a problem uh, for young women, and um, to get more young women talking you know, we really do have to talk about HPV. And it's unfortunate because um, we can save more lives by talking about it. There are 8.6 million people out there who have HPV. A lot of them don't know it. Um, Sometimes, you know, they lead to oral cancers, anal cancers, but that's another show. But um, in terms of stigma, I just really wish uh, there wasn't a stigma because when there's a stigma, that means that, Women aren't talking, or men, they're suffering in silence, and that means that sometimes people die because of that. And for me, it's just really unfortunate. So, you know, I'll just keep talking until I can't talk anymore. Um, There's a great new documentary that's out, um, Someone You Love, the HPV Epidemic, and there's this young woman, Kelly, um, who has cervical cancer, and she dies. And you watch her die, and you see this is what, happens when you have cervical cancer. And she shouldn't have died because, you know, like I said, this is a cancer that we really can prevent and seriously lower the numbers. And she really died a very tragic, unnecessary death. So I want to wrap the show by having all of you talk about how you've coped through social media, if you've coped through social media. Like Tamika started a charity. Don't start a charity. <laughs> but Tamika's done a really good job with her charity and raised a lot of a lot of uh, lot of, made a lot of noise with what she's done. Um, do either of you blog? I know you're starting your your fitness organization. Uh, Lauren, are you on the internet? <laughs> I'm on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Have you journaled? Have you blogged? Have you done anything from a constructive, creative outlet? in terms of the internet with all of this? I have documented the stuff that I was going through. Um, yeah. And people have been amazing. I've heard from people that I hadn't heard from in so long. Um, and of course my good friends, you know, but yeah, Facebook's been cool. Um, my family jokes that anytime I post something on Facebook about cancer, it blows up. But then I got married, and <laughs> Facebook blew up just as much. And so I said it was much nicer to see Facebook blow up because I got married than because I... Positive things, yes. Positive yeah. things. So it was cool, though. That's yeah. Awesome. But Facebook was really helpful. And I think reaching out and telling people what's going on, for me, it's a pe- everybody deals differently, but for me, it was the best way to go. Awesome. Yeah. And Marianne, tell us one more time your, your new startup and your mission and website. 
Well, actually, I've been blogging. Okay. And uh, I would like to thank Tamika and Emily Drake, um, because Emily Drake posted my uh, blog about OMG in Vegas on Can- Cancer Fight Club. So awesome. uh, I that was my first published blog. So I started writing when this year when I came back from OMG. So now I will be blogging, and um, I set up a uh, a web. Well, I'm building it now, but I bought a domain. So it's butterflyfitness.biz, and I will have that eventually <laughs> up and running. Um, but uh, I wrote something for uh, Tamika as well, who so graciously asked me to do so. So thank you, Tamika. You are um, so welcome, and we're posting it um, before the end of the month for Gynecological Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah, and and uh, Facebook and uh, the OMG group on Facebook has been really, really fantastic. Um, just having so many friends when I came back from OMG and especially dealing with my friend's diagnosis. Sure. I know how to be the one sick. I didn't know how to deal with caring for you know going through this from from his from his perspective uh so you know i got a lot of great advice um and a lot of support uh so it it the you guys have uh, have been great for me on social media to make any parting thoughts what are you up to these days I am, you know, working on my survivor school and really um, teaching cervical cancer survivors how to be advocates, especially on Capitol Hill, because, you know, we need legislation that is changed and more funding and, you know, all that jazz. I'm also really passionate about people living their best life beyond their cancers, and I do that within the cancer community um, to all people who've been touched by cancer. And I just, you know... I'm really passionate about that there is a beautiful and wonderful life you can have after a cancer diagnosis. You know, it takes time, but it can happen. So that that that's what I'm up to. And one thing that I want to say, um, uh, just to go back to um, family building, I have an 11-year-old stepdaughter, and I never – I thought this, but she has really taught me that you do not have to give birth to someone uh, to love them unconditionally. And I just wanted to share that. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you, ladies, for sharing uh, on tonight's broadcast. Very sensitive. This needs much more uh, much more voice, and it's something I'm very passionate about. And even though I, I, I had the benefit of having just to, just to only very easily make my sperm and pay $2,000 a year for, for 12 years. But aside from that, I am completely empathetic to this, and this is something that we are feverishly trying to change and make better for And we appreciate you guys for doing that, and I, I, and I know you are. Thank you. All right. Well, you. with that, everyone gets a nice round of applause. <laughs> Thank you, Tamika. Thank you. Thank you. I all feel right. like we saw a hug. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our show. Now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. 
You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, our 320th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did, poking a stick at Super Cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Marianne, Stefan, Tamika Felder, and Lauren Horn. Next week's show, episode 321, Chasing Life with Talia Ricci, star of ABC Family's critically acclaimed hit series, Chasing Life, joins us in studio for an exclusive interview about her life, the show, and how her character, April, a 20-something smart and quick-witted aspiring journalist who is diagnosed with cancer in the prime of her life, has made such a difference for the young adult cancer movement. Survivor Spotlight on Vanessa Hood. Don't miss this special broadcast. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Tweed, Mallory Rivera, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, thanks for listening, and we'll be back here next Monday, live at 8. Good night, folks. Multiple tours. So...